Okay, we are in. Uh, we're we're going to be reading in Genesis forty-seven today. But what I want want us to to recount at first is the way Joseph was looking at all of this. So if you look in in uh, in Genesis Genesis chapter forty-five Genesis chapter forty-five. Verse 7, Joseph said, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Joseph viewed his life's call. If you had to, you know, we have many things that we're called to do, but his overarching call, the way he viewed it himself, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Why is it important that they stay alive by a great deliverance? Well, there was a promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. He says, I will make you a great nation. He is going to make from the offspring of Abraham a great nation. Right now, the nation is in jeopardy because of a famine. So Joseph views it as his call was to sustain his family. When Joseph was promoted in Egypt to make provision for Egypt, he was already calculating how he was going to be able to make provision for his family as well. Because he knew that that famine was not going to only affect Egypt, it was going to affect all the surrounding region. And he knew that his family was going to end up in Egypt. And the way we know that is nothing directly that it says. But if you look at it, remember he's in this city Tanis, which is in in this region where, where the Nile is just fanning out, going into the Mediterranean, because the Nile runs from south to north, uh, because it's from up in the mountains north across the continent of Africa and then fans out into the Mediterranean. He's in the city of Tennis and he set it up such that all foreigners who wanted to buy grain are going to have to come and he is the one who is personally selling this. He is the one who's overseeing all the sales to foreigners. He's overseeing everyone who comes in there. And so he knows that eventually... His family is going to have to come there to buy food. The whole thing has been set up this way. He's planned this accordingly. So if we look in Genesis chapter 46, the end of Genesis chapter 46, we'll read through from verse 31 where we started, where we had shared last week. Joseph said to his brothers, this is Genesis 46, 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Egypt have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of the livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. And remember, he's going to use this now as a strategy 
to keep his family line pure, to keep them from intermingling with the Egyptians. Because if they're loathsome to the Egyptians, the Egyptians want nothing to do with them. And so they're going to live separate. This, he's setting it up perfectly. This has been planned out for years. This has been planned out. He said to his brothers in verse 31 and to his father's household, he says, if anybody asks you, you tell them that we are shepherds. Our fathers have been shepherds. Our grandfathers have been shepherds. We've always been shepherds to make sure he's doing this to make sure that number one, they're going to be a distinct people. And number two, that they're going to live in a separate, very good part of the land all the way to the east to the east of that 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 uh, that furthermost river that's fanning out from the Nile River. You're going to live in that plush area, but I've got to keep you separate because they already started intermingling with the people of Canaan. We read that in the in 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 the list of people that came in. We had already seen that with Judah, and so now let's pick it up in chapter 47, verse one. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, "My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds." And all that they have, have come out of the land of Egypt. And behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and he presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what's your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land. For there is no pasture for your servants to servants' flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So, It's interesting here that what he does is he brings his brothers before Pharaoh and they did exactly what they had been told to do. Exactly what they've been told to do, they did. They did not say, hey, you know, we're from the aristocracy of the land of Canaan. Joseph never made himself out to be aristocracy. Joseph, even though he is an aristocrat right now, he's second to Pharaoh in all the land. Everybody in the land has to do what he commands. Uh, He's second only to Pharaoh. Yet he associates himself with the lowly. He associates himself with the shepherds, the people that the Egyptians find loathsome. We are to associate ourselves with the body of Christ. Even if it is humiliating amongst the people with whom we work, we are to associate ourselves with them. Watchman Nee, the great Chinese... uh, uh, um, man of God said, if we do not speak up about our faith, people will not hold us responsible for our actions. But as soon as they know that we are believers in Christ, they will hold us responsible for our actions. And they should. We should be held responsible for our actions. We should have this. They should know that we are believers. When I started as an assistant professor, I put uh, 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 little verses stuck it to my wall in my office. I let everybody know when they were going to walk into my office, there were Bible verses on my wall. They knew right away that I was a believer. I was to be held accountable for my actions. He did not disassociate himself from being among the shepherds. 
He let them know who he was, and that allowed him to be a distinct people. When people know that I am a believer, that I take certain stands, that I value the scriptures, it is good, it helps me to disassociate myself from the evil of the world, because they're holding me accountable for my actions. He lived as a separate people. God has called us to be a separate people. In the New Testament, there's several verses about that, that we are to be a separate people. If your co-workers do not know that you are a believer, there is a problem. Everybody at the university, from the president on down to the custodial staff, they know that I am a believer in Jesus Christ and I take these things seriously. And not just because I'm in the position that I'm in. Even when I was an assistant professor, the president of the university knew that I was a believer because I invited him to my home. He saw how we lived. He saw how we prayed over our, our food. It is good to be a separate people. He associated himself. He didn't disassociate himself from his family. And his brother said, we, we, uh, um, we are servants here. We, 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 we don't have enough food for our family. This is why we're here. It's interesting. They've said in verse 4, we have come to sojourn in the land. Then later on in the chapter, it's in the same verse, in verse 4, it says, let your servants live in the land of Goshen. And if you look in the footnote, at least in, in the New American Standard, it says live. But in the footnote, it refers back to the reference. It says really it means dwell. They never came with the intent to stay there forever. They were returning to the land. And they let Pharaoh know, we're not here forever. There's just a season. This is a season for us that we're here. We're not planning to stay forever. We want to sojourn in the land. There's no food for our flocks over there. We, 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 please let us stay here. And then it says in verse 5, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. In other words, you choose. The choice is yours, Joseph. You choose whatever you want. You know, Pharaoh had already given this command back in verse in chapter 45, verse 18. It's, Pharaoh said, And take your father and your household and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat of the fat of the land. Pharaoh had already said, I'm going to give you the best of the land. These guys come and they say, we want to be in the land of Goshen because that allowed them to be separate. They weren't surrounded by the Egyptians now. They lived right on that land bridge that can go back to the promised land. And, and uh, Pharaoh then underscores it. You see, Joseph does not act presumptuously. Joseph does not say, look, I'm second in command. Pharaoh said, give them the best of the land. I'll settle them where I want. No, he still walked in submission to Pharaoh. He walked in submission to Pharaoh and he wanted Pharaoh to give the command. Okay, it's all right, fine, you can do this. So that everybody knows it wasn't Joseph the foreigner who had set up his family in this place. It was Pharaoh himself that set up Joseph's family in this place. When we walk in submission to others, we actually end up carrying greater authority behind the things that we do. So many times I see believers think that they don't have to walk into submission, say, to their bosses because they're believers and their bosses are not believers. No, we walk in submission to our bosses. We walk in submission to others. This is, this is, this is the whole setup here. And you see, Joseph could have done this on his own, but he wanted everybody to know this was set up there because of Pharaoh. And then, then it, it goes on that, uh, um, 
you see everything was being set up by Joseph. Everything was being set up by Joseph for his brothers. We're going to continue on that thought in just a moment, but I want to look at, at something else here that's really quite interesting. I want you to see Jacob's response to Pharaoh when he meets Pharaoh. So look in verse 7. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my father lived during the days of his sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. You know, this is a very interesting portion. Jacob comes before Pharaoh and it doesn't say that Jacob bowed down to Pharaoh. It says that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed him. Here you have the patriarch blessing the leader of Egypt. Here you have the believer in, 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 uh, in Yahweh, the God of Israel, blessing the king of Egypt. He knew his position. He knew who he was. He had the ability to bless Pharaoh. And he blesses him twice. He blesses him upon the greeting. He blesses him upon his departure. He calls upon the God, his, the God of Israel to bring a blessing down upon Pharaoh because Pharaoh is opening up his territory, his land, for the sustenance of his family. Jacob was a grateful man and he blessed Pharaoh for this distinguished man. He comes in and the first thing he does is he blesses Pharaoh. When we say to people, God bless you, it means something. It means something. It's, it's not, not just a, 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 a bunch of empty words. These are real powerful words when we really mean it. And he blessed him. And Pharaoh looks at him and he says, how many years have you lived? How many years have you lived? And we often do that. Sometimes we might see a very old man and we say, we say, how, how old are you? And we see this and, and it's intriguing. Um, you know, if you see a very tall person, and I found myself doing this about a year ago, I, I, I met a man who was huge and, and I asked him, how tall are you? And he said, I'm seven foot two. How tall are you? So obviously he would get that question all the time. And, and, uh, uh, but he was just a huge man to, to me. And it's, it's not, it's not generally, it's not, it's not a common thing to see a person who's seven foot two. And he wasn't skinny like a basketball player. He was just big all over. And, and, uh, um, so in any case, he asked him, how old are you? How many years have you lived? Now look at Jacob's response. This is really interesting. Remember the question is here is, how old are you? Now Jacob is 130. When Abraham died, Abraham was 175. When Isaac died, Isaac was 180. And if you remember the genetic entropy plot that I showed you uh, early on when we were teaching the book of Genesis, people lived a very long time in the beginning. And then as you see entropic decay, the typical entropic decay curve, biological entropic decay curve, is what's followed for human lifespan. It goes from being very long 
and then it comes around and then it curves around and then it stabilizes and it, and it stays really constant for a long time. We are in that constancy for a long time. In the Bible it says, uh, a man shall live 70 years if due to strength 80. And that's still where we are. Moses wrote that. That's in Psalm 90. Moses wrote Psalm 90 and that's what he wrote. That, that, uh, uh, man lives 70 years and that, and due to strength 80. And that's where about where we are now. Now you can live a little bit better in, in, in your 70s and 80s because of, of modern medicine. You can get your cataracts removed so you can see. You can get hearing aids so that you can hear. You can get your hips fixed so you're not crippled. And, uh, uh, and you can get your knees replaced and all of these nice things. But still, basically, we live 70 to 80 years. We're in this, this period here. And, and I just had an interview with John, Sanford, uh, um, on my YouTube channel, DR James Tour, just recently, and we talked about genetic entropy. And these guys are right on the curve, right where it's curving around. You go from the very long lifespans, and then it came, there was this rapid decline, and then they're right in this curve. And so uh, he's 130 years old, and so <clears throat> so um, it says that, that so Jacob said to Pharaoh. The years of my sojourning are 130. So there's the answer. You ask me how old I am, there's the answer. But what's interesting, he didn't stop there. He gave more information beyond the question. He said, few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained to the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. So in other words, my fathers were also sojourners. My fathers also were nomads. They didn't have a place. Isaac, my father, didn't have a place. Isaac died 10 years before this. So if Isaac were still alive, he'd be 190. But he died at 180. And, and Abraham lived to be 175. But few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. And this just hit me last night. I prepare for these studies all week. But it just hit me last night. I love when God does this. It just Something is just obscure to me. And then all of a sudden, boom! You know, I, I rarely read commentaries. I only read commentaries a little bit because I just want the Holy Spirit. I read commentaries to set the stage. What's going on in the land? Give me the historicity of the place and what's, but, but the, the, the truth of God that He drops in. You, you, what happens when people say, how are you doing? Fine, thank you. Well, I mean, I could be having the worst day in my life. Oh, I'm doing just fine. Fine, thank you. Jacob was not like that. Jacob says, you want to know how old I am? I'm 130 years old, and it's been a rough life. Well, what does Jacob have to complain about? So just this morning, I sat down, just from memory, this is some of the things that I can think of that Jacob had to go through. So he was born with a very tough brother, Esau, a very tough brother. He had very little love from his father. His father had nothing to do with him. His father loved Esau, because he was a man of the field, he was a man of the wilderness, sort of like a father loving the son who plays football and doesn't like the son who's in debate club. I mean, so he never had much love from his father. Uh, he was sent away from, by his mother. His mother put him up to this scheme. He was, and then he was sent away by his mother, never to see her again, his beloved mother, never to see her again. He was sent to the land of Paran to get a wife. At the same time, he was having to run from his brother who was planning to kill him. It's kind of a rough life. Running from his brother who was planning to kill him. He gets to Paran. 
He works seven years and then is deceived and gets the wrong woman. So he worked seven years in the field for the wrong woman. Then he works another seven years for the right woman. Then he works another six years for his flocks and herds. So that's 20 years. Seven and seven and six is 20 years he works. During this time, any lost flock that, that a beast would, would consume, he was responsible for. He had to pay it out of his own money because his father-in-law was such a hard driver, which was totally contrary to what to what uh, shepherds had to do at the time. And so so he was responsible for this. He worked for, for a real taskmaster in his father-in-law. He had to bear the loss. Then he had to flee from Paran. He had fled from his home in, 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 uh, in the land of Israel, in, in, in the promised land. He had fled from his home to Paran. Now he has to flee from Paran to go back. His father-in-law then is seeking to kill him. His father-in-law is chasing him down to kill him. And God says to his father, don't you say a word or do anything to, to, to Jacob. So God had to protect him. But he's fleeing from his father-in-law. And then he gets there. Now his brother is coming at him. Esau is coming at him to try to kill him. And so he, to appease Esau, he gives a huge amount of these flocks that he had ended up working for for the last six years. And then he worked 14 years before that with those same flocks. So he has to give a huge portion of it to his brother who was seeking to kill him. He comes into the promised land and now he's sort of an outcast just living on, on the corner of the land of Shechem. His daughter, Dinah, gets raped. Again, it's not an easy thing for a father to go through. And then two of his sons, Simeon and Levi, become mass murderers. They kill all the men in Shechem. All of them. They become mass murderers. Shereen and I know a woman in a church that we were in years ago, uh, uh, 25 years ago, who's, who was a wonderful member of the church. She was active doing many things. And her son grew up in the church. Well, when he was 17, 17 or 18, he had, uh, um, he, he went with some friends and, and they egged him on to rob a gas station attendant. During the robbery, he ended up shooting the attendant. He got away and after about two weeks, they found out it was him. He got arrested. So this woman who's an active member in the church, her son is, is picked up for, for, murder in the first degree during a robbery, which in the state of South Carolina comes with the death penalty. And uh, he ended up getting out of the death penalty, but life in prison. And we saw what it did to devastate this woman. She remained a member of the church, but devastated her. As you can imagine, if one of your children was become a murderer, this man, two of his sons become not just murderers, but mass murderers. Remember like, like, like Charles Manson type murderers. Two of his sons. He had to endure all of this. Then he flees for his life with his family to get away from Shechem because he thinks the people of the land are going to come after him. And then he moves to Hebron. After he moves to Hebron, his beloved son, Joseph, he presumes has been killed by wild animals and torn to shreds. So he loses his beloved son when his son is 17 years old. His other ten sons are deceivers, deceiving him on, on this. And I, I skipped one. When he was fleeing from Paran, and before he got into the promised land, his beloved wife, the one he really loved, who he worked seven years for, she dies, dies in childbirth. How's that? 
You know, so he, he, he's a widow from her. And, and uh, uh, that was his beloved wife. And then, so his, his and he, now he's living with these ten deceptive sons. He doesn't trust them very much. He doesn't know that they're lying to him about Joseph. But he knows that they're deceiving, conniving guys. Two of his grandsons, uh, Onan and Er, uh, Onan and Er, this is in, in, in chapter 46, verse 12, two of his grandsons get killed by God. They're so evil they get killed by God. These are two of his grandchildren. This is kind of a rough life. Then a famine hits. A famine hits when he's an old man and he's viewing his family just coming to an end. A famine hits. Now he's told by his sons that Joseph is alive. And so he goes down to Egypt. So he's having to leave his home, everything he knows, this country that he knows, at the age of 130, he's having to leave this land. He gets to Egypt, and it's probably just in Egypt at that time that he finds out that this story comes to light. Asking, how did you get to Egypt now? Well, my brothers sold me into slavery. Your brothers? So he's just finding out that for these last these 22 years... His brother, his ten sons had been deceiving him. They had sold him into slavery only because they wanted to make some money instead of killing him. I mean, imagine what he's looking at around his family. So he says to Pharaoh, my years have been few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. I mean, if anybody has... You know, okay. And so he doesn't walk around saying, Oh, I'm fine, thank you. And he's not just giddy saying hallelujah all the time. You know, there are people in the body of Christ who suffer a lot. And we can't expect them to all of the time, all the time saying hallelujah, praise God. I am just fine. I mean, there's so many pains and what going on in people's lives sometimes. So many things that people go through. And at least this man could be honest, honest enough saying, you think that 130 years, it's, it's a real blessing? You have no idea what I have lived through. These are the patriarchs. Look at what this man went through. And God loved him so much. Remember, it speaks of Jacob as being this, this descriptor word that we had talked about of Jacob when he's in, in a young life living in, in his father Isaac's home that it says that he was a fine man, an upright man. This term is only used of two other people. It's only used of of, uh, um, of Noah, and it's used, I, I believe, it's uh, uh, used of Job. I mean, it's, so, so this is a term that God loves this guy so much. Just because woes come be- upon a life, it doesn't mean that God somehow doesn't love you. He loved these patriarchs so much. We think, oh, it must have been so good. God would speak to them audibly. Remember, when God spoke to him in Beersheba, that was only the sixth time that God had revealed himself to him like that. Six times in a life of 130 years where he had this profound sense of God coming and speaking to him. Christian life can be hard. Walking with God can be hard. This man walked with God. He did not intend for his sons to become mass murderers. He did not intend for his brothers to try to kill him twice. He did not intend for his father-in-law to try to kill him 
these things, Christian life is hard. And this guy says it right there. He says, you think it's, it's cool to live 130 years? Not like the 130 years that I've been through. Now, his life is going to be a lot more pleasant for the next 17 years. He's going to live 17 years in the land of Egypt. And he's going to live under great blessing. Joseph is going to make sure he is greatly blessed. And he is greatly honored because when he dies, there's going to be a long mourning for him. This 70-day mourning, they're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to embalm him. He had a very good life. It was at this end of his life that God rewarded him abundantly with peace in his life, in the land of Egypt. He was a foreigner in this land. We are a foreigner in the land that God has called us to. And But you look at his life. It's not easy for the patriarchs. Uh, uh, it was not easy for Isaac. Isaac experienced a famine. He had to go into the land of Gerar. In the land of Gerar, God had blessed Isaac tremendously. Everybody is, is undergoing hardship and he is multiplying uh I don't know, was it a hundredfold he was multiplying? Everywhere the man would dig a hole, water would come. And then, and then the people of the land of Gerar would take the well from him and he'd go dig another hole, he'd get water and they'd go and take that well from him. It was not easy for him. It was not easy for Abraham. How would you like it if... if uh, oh, the other things that, that, J, that Jacob went through, which I forgot to tell you, his wives were always fighting with each other. There were two sisters and they would, they would fight with each other and the one, sis, the one wife, Rachel, would tell Jacob, you're going to sleep with Leah tonight because she sold me, she, she gave me some mandrakes and I bargained you off to her. I mean, imagine living under that. I mean, a man can put up with a lot, but when there's conflict in the home, I mean, you'll knock the wind right out of a man when there's conflict in the home, when there's conflict with a wife. Abraham went through this. I mean, he's, he's having to deal with, with, with Sarah who tells him, go ahead, sleep with Hagar. So he ends up sleeping with Hagar and she says, look what you did to me. And then she says, get rid of Hagar. He says, how can I get rid of her? And, and there's conflict in the home. Again, you, you, just, you just knock a man flat over when there's conflict with his wife in the home. And, and, uh, uh, and so look at what these guys went through. And then he thinks that he has to now sacrifice his son. Abraham thinks this. These men had hard lives. This was not an enjoyable time. And they were nomads. They had no place to lay their head. They had tents. They lived in tents. Everybody else lived in a stone-walled city and they had roofs over their head. Something firm. These guys lived in tents and they were constantly having to move about when problems started. Life can be hard. But they followed God. They followed God. You look at what these guys went through. They knew what trouble in the home was. They knew what trouble with spouses were. So when, when you have trouble with your spouse, I mean, God knows this. He knows how frustrating this can be. He's seen it in the lives of the patriarchs. But He loved them. He loved them. His love for them was never in question. His love for them was never in doubt. He loved them immensely. Jacob says, my life has been really hard. But he loved God to the end. Hardship in our lives is not there to draw us away from God. It is to draw us closer to God. Hardship in our lives should draw us closer to God. I mean, the pains that this man went through, one-tenth of this. Very few of us ever go through one-tenth of what Jacob went through. And we think, why so depressed in front of Pharaoh? Why not just put on happy face? Happy face. 
I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. Everything's good with me because I've got, I've got, I've got Yahweh with me. No, he said, my life's been a rough life. As believers, we go through rough times. As believers, there are challenges in life that are within families. You're going to have a lot of challenges within family that are within the people around you. Rough life. Lots of problems come in life. And we don't know all the other things that Jacob went through. If he had health problems. Or, oh yeah, he was, he was the guy with the, with the wounded hip. So whenever he had to walk, he had to walk with a, with a bad hip. I forgot to write that down, too. I mean, he was the guy who, who, who had, you know, this dislocated hip. He couldn't get a hip operation. I mean, imagine walking around without your hip operation. You had to walk around with that dislocated hip all the time. I speak to people who've had a hip operation. They're like, this is so much better. The pain that I went through walking around with this bad hip. I mean, the poor guy had, had, had the, 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 the pain in his own body as well. God knows all of this. But there's a peace that comes in Jesus Christ. There's a peace that comes in knowing God. If you're not a believer, you can't know this peace. If you're a believer, you can know this peace. I don't know how believers, some believers go through all that they go through. But I know that my God is faithful. If he did this with the patriarchs, he can do it with them. He can do it with you. You come to know Jesus this day. You come to walk with Him because Jesus is good and righteous and holy in every way. That does not mean that our lives are trouble-free. It only means that we can, we have to call upon God all the more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You so much because You are so good to us. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for this picture that we have in Jacob. That with all the struggles in his life, he continued to walk close to Yahweh, to the God of Abraham and Isaac. He walked close to him. Thank you, Lord, that he did not lose his faith with all that he went through all the pain that he went through in life, within the family, within his, with his wives, with his father-in-law, with, the, with his brother, all the troubles that he went through with, the, with, with the, his sons, the things that his sons did. Oh, Father, I pray, oh Lord, that you would so work and so move, Lord, to build within us a resilience, to continue to walk with God in the midst of trouble, in the midst of pain, in the midst of hip pain and all these troubles that people can go through in life, that we would not say, well, God has abandoned me because God never abandoned him. Lord Jesus, you are the best in every way and you will never, never abandon your children. Father, there are some on this Zoom call that are undergoing such troubles where their, their husbands have left them where, where, where family members are causing them great struggles, where people are in pain because of, of sicknesses that they're going through. Lord, you have not abandoned them. Your love is there just as strong as it ever was. Thank you, Lord, that we see that in the life of Jacob. Thank you, Lord, that we see that in the life of the patriarchs. Lord, you are so good. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. Blessed be his name. And Father, for any unbelievers on this call, I pray, Lord, that you'd open up their hearts, that their hearts would be open to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would know his love and know his grace. 
because the things of this world will deal heavy, heavy blows upon them so that they might know the grace of God and walk strongly with you. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.